This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 114, Tolkien, part three. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a citizen of heaven, and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for coming back again. This episode represents the final section of my conversation with Josh Everett, professor of British literature at Central Texas College, and Edwin Crozier, preacher and co-host of the Text Talk podcast. If you have not checked out the first two installments, please do so. Here we discuss the literary legacy J.R.R. Tolkien has left for us, and the legacy of faith we inherit from those who came before and leave to those who come up afterward. This is what I've been playing. Generic fantasy is a term board gamers often use to describe the sort of quasi-human characters that have become ubiquitous in our lifetime. We've seen enough dwarves, goblins, elves, sorcerers, and halflings to fill a game library, and that's exactly what many have done. Others scoff at generic fantasy, saying it's all the same, hopelessly derivative and cliche. But it wasn't cliche in Tolkien's day. He made it cliche by doing it so well and inspiring thousands of copycats. We inherit a legacy from earlier generations of Christians, and we leave one for the generations to come. How important is it to respect what we have received, and what measures can we take to leave something valuable behind? So I have to tell a story here. Um, my, my wife's best friend in college very much liked the David Eddings books, the Belgariad and the Malorian, which, which are fantastic. I love them as well. I talked to her. I said, well, of course, that means you've read Lord of the Rings. She said, I tried, but it just seemed like a copy of the Belgariad and the Malorian. It just, it just seemed like he was copying that too much. And I was just like, um, you, you realize which one came first, right? It, it, the, you, you have latched onto the copy, which is a fantastic book. And it's a fan. I, I like those series as well. And so, but, um, uh, so it is interesting. I, I love the way you, you you lead into this because that's exactly what's happened. This whole fantasy realm has for, especially for folks who don't like it. I, I've got a really good friend who I just promise you when he turns on this podcast and finds out that the anchor is Lord of the Rings, he's going to shut it off. He just, um, it just, it blows my mind. And it's, it's almost become like a sticking point for him that Edwin likes this so much. I'm just, I refuse. I refuse to get into Lord of the Rings and he's missing out. But for, for those kind of folks, it has become kind of cliche and, and they don't quite grasp it. So, um, but, but it is because he did it so well. And that actually leads us into some other stuff. Like the fact that, you know, Josh is a English professor and speaker. I'm sure you've probably could say this sort of thing that uh, what there's like seven stories in all the history of man. Isn't that the way it works? And fundamentally what we have with the story of Jesus is at this fundamental level, the ultimate story. And that's why there's so many, even, uh, even stories that aren't intentionally trying to mirror the Christ story, they end up accidentally doing it because it's just such a fundamental story that it finds its way into everything. I know that's not what your question was really asking about, but it, it reminded me of that event. Getting back to your question regarding the legacy, I think about how Bilbo and Frodo connect. Bilbo is from The Hobbit. I remember when I first started reading The Lord of the Rings as a teenager, I almost put it down because it wasn't about Bilbo. I had read The Hobbit. I'd loved The Hobbit. It was great. There and back again. It's amazing. Bilbo is just this wonderful person. You'd never expect anything of him, but he ends up being this great hero, even though his heroism is not about going onto the battlefield and striking people down. In fact, 
for folks who've never read the book, when they go from the movies to the book and they find out that the battle of five armies happened while Bilbo was unconscious. And so you see none of it, it kind of disappoints them, but Bilbo's heroism was something completely different. And so then I opened up the Lord of the Rings that was in my mind, supposed to be the sequel. And well, it's not about Bilbo at all. And yet what we have is the legacy. We do have the legacy Bilbo as the one who actually was following in the legacy of his took side as opposed to the Baggins side. And so who knows what all that story was behind, but Frodo is the one of his relations that he says, you are most like me and that's why I adopted you. And so we see that legacy of stepping up to the adventure of rather than running away and hiding from it, I'm going to step up to it. And it was just a, a wonderful picture of the legacy of I'm standing on the shoulders of the giants before me. And then I'm passing that on to the next generation. And for Bilbo and for Frodo, it was that idea of, I don't run from it. I step up to it. I don't think I can make it. I don't think I can do it, but I'm going to step up. I think we're seeing, yeah, the Lord of the Rings and maybe also the Chronicles of Narnia are, are taking on an even higher level of fame. I think a lot has been the movies, right? Peter Jackson did so much for Lord of the Rings to kind of bring it into the mainstream. I mean, before Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, it was only like the the nerdiest of nerds, probably, right? That actually that actually knew the full story of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. You know, it was sort that of, hurts. That hurts, Josh. <laughs> well, that I'm, hurts. I'm, I'm putting myself in that same category, right? But I, I agree that we see a lot of other works that have come later. In Harry Potter, there's there's a lot of Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. As huge as that has become, you know, you can't look at Dumbledore and not think of Gandalf. But I also agree with Edwin that Tolkien wasn't necessarily inventing a completely original story. I mean, there's a lot of Christian echoes in Lord of the Rings. And he self-admittedly, he tried to keep those very subtle, I think more so than Lewis did. You know, when you, when you look at Aslan in Chronicles of Narnia and in the sacrifice of Aslan on the stone table, sacrificing himself in place of Edmund and then being resurrected. I mean, there's clear overt echoes of the Christ story. Tolkien was more subtle, I think, in those parallels. But we do see them, you know, the Gandalf falling off the bridge of Khazad-dûm and falling into sort of oblivion and then and then being sort of resurrected or reborn in a sense and coming back as Gandalf the White and more powerful than before. Maybe there's echoes of Jesus in Revelation, the idea of the role that Jesus plays in Revelation, this sort of very powerful figure. When we think about Aragorn, the return of the king, that third mm-hmm. book, the return of the king, I think is a clear reference to the idea of Jesus returning to his rightful place or returning to the earth and the second coming. Um, so there's definitely some of those parallels there. These hero stories are, are, are of great significant value. And um, when we look at the Bible, I mean, it's full of hero stories. And they're not just stories in this case, right? They're, they're truths. A lot of our fictitious hero stories that we see in our, in our culture today, I think, are inspired largely by by Bible stories of truth. I mean, look at Hebrews 11, right? That faith hall of fame, right? Of these great heroes. These stories are significant value. Stories about um, Enoch and Noah and Abraham. These are just the people mentioned in Hebrews 11. Moses and Joshua, Gideon, you know, Samson, David, Samuel, Daniel and the lion's den. But we have all these stories of great courage, and great strength in the face of, you know, lots of adversity. Gideon, you know, you know, who's, who's taking on an army that largely outnumbered him. And yet through his faith, 
he's able to overpower that army and it kind of reminds you, you know, of people in Lord of the Rings who are facing insurmountable odds, it seems, badly outnumbered at uh, Helm's Deep. It seems like all hope is lost, like darkness is about to fall and they're all about to be obliterated and yet, you know, they are able to overcome and the light comes later and, and reveals the hope that was always there. And so hero stories are important. We should realize that there's this great legacy of heroism in the Bible, especially, and uh, make sure that our, our children know these stories from as early as possible. Uh, I remember with my mother sitting down and her reading Bible stories to us when we were two and three years old and, and stories about Joshua and Samson and, and all these great stories. And I remember how much they shaped my development as a, as a kid and, and my concept of courage and strength and faith and righteousness. I love Nehemiah. Remember me. Oh my God, for good. We can just trust that God sees what we're doing and God sees our heart and we're setting our children and maybe our grandchildren up, hopefully to appreciate what we did and why we did it, what we stood for, what we didn't stand for. And if that works something a hundred years from now, that's great. But ultimately my legacy more than anything else is I was a Christian. I lived my life in faith. So my understanding is that Tolkien was primarily a linguist and this all started with him creating languages. And secondarily, he always mourned, maybe that's too strong a word, the fact that the English people did not have their own mythology like the Germanic people did. And he wanted his people to have a set of stories that anchored them, that they could look back to, that would inspire them to behave in right and proper ways. He wanted to create a mythology, which is kind of this idea of the legacy. Not that he was trying to say, let me make up the actual ancient history of England. He he knew better than that, but rather the set of stories that say, this is how English people behave and this is how English people act. That's the idea. And going back to what Josh said about the Bible stories, before our video age and before our written book age, there were the stories that families sat around the campfire telling to one another. And I don't decry that we've moved on from that. I think there's some benefit in the written culture and some benefits in the video culture. But really, one of the struggles we have today, we have very few uniting stories. What we need to make sure we do among Christ's kingdom is remember the uniting story. And that's the story of Jesus and the fact that Jesus is Lord. And convey that to our friends, our neighbors, our children, our grandchildren. Of course, for us, it is more than mythology. It is history. It is real what Jesus did. And so that's what makes our story even better. Tolkien makes up a story. We actually have real history. And here is the story. And it's the story of Jesus and the, the deliverance and the salvation, the sacrifice and the resurrection and the kingdom that he established. I don't have to set up my own legacy. I've got the legacy that's right there that I can pass on to others if, if I will just do it. My understanding of Lewis and his approach to mythology was much like what you were saying there. He doesn't use mythology as something that's inherently incorrect, inherently non-historical, but rather conceptually. This is what a culture is built on. This is a mm -hmm. framework, and it may or may not be true. And the moment when he says Christian mythology is 
actual people, as an actual historical character. That seemed like kind of a light bulb moment to him. Josh would know better than I on that. Does that, does that sound about right? Sure, sure. Well, so much of national identity or cultural identity is built on storytelling. And Edwin mentioned the idea of stories being a source of unity, right? To bring people together and to express a common value system, right? A common set of values. We value courage. We value heroes. We value people that live a certain way. Tolkien, as you mentioned, was an expert of languages, but he, he also did like a translation of Beowulf, which is the you know, sort of an Anglo-Saxon epic poem. Beowulf is an, what we call an epic, and there's others like the Iliad and the Odyssey. There's the Epic of Gilgamesh. Epics are, are sort of, um, I just do they're almost like national anthems, right? We have, you know, every country has a song, like an anthem that kind of represents its values and its beliefs and its culture and its identity. And so a lot of, a lot of literature, these, these ancient epics are, are sort of like anthems that represent the values in, in, of a people. And Lord of the Rings is an epic. He's embodying certain values that he thinks are important to the culture of Britain. And we, we need role models. We need heroes. And again, so much of the Bible is about hero stories. They embody these virtues and these things that we should have ourselves, that we should develop. And we're not going to probably be involved in going to battle against thousands of enemies like a lot of the characters in the Old Testament, or we're not going to get supernatural strength like Samson had, or we're not going to be involved in a worldwide flood, probably like Noah and these kinds of things. But again, there are these spiritual armies of darkness all around us. Our enemies are more spiritual than they are physical. And, but it does require great courage and great strength to be able to stand up to sin, to temptation, to error that's around us, to the false teaching that's happening in our own society, to be different, to dare to be different takes a lot of courage. And I think that um, you talk about the legacy that we've inherited. We could talk about all the bold men and women throughout history that have played a role in helping truth to continue on or to be exposed in the face of error. Oftentimes we say that, you know, in many ways we're like midgets standing on the shoulders of giants. The legacy that we've inherited, there's so much work that's been done in the past. We could talk about, um, who is it? Uh, Campbell, who is one of the leaders of the, the sort of the second reformation in the United States, trying to restore the first century church restore, you know, going against that wave of denominationalism that had been in existence for several centuries and try to sort of restore the first century church. And so, you know, a lot of the work that was necessary to try to bring that back, you know, was was done by brave people of the past. And we've inherited part of that legacy today. And it's our duty to recognize the legacy we've inherited and to do our part to preserve it. I'll be honest with you. I am not a restoration history nut. I work with Andrew Roberts. He loves restoration history. He and I just don't have good conversations about that because what I typically want to say is, hey, that doesn't matter at all. I don't care what any of these guys said. I don't care what they did. Let's just get back to the Bible. I think there's some truth in what I'm saying, but what I've had to learn, and Andrew helps me see it, is that those things between the Bible and me have impacted me. And what I don't realize is they actually have impacted how I read the Bible. And what's really important is actually being able to find out what the legacy is and define it 
because it is impacting me without me even knowing it. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes that legacy, we're, we're all imperfect people. This legacy that I've inherited is not perfect. If I don't know what it is, I can't define it. I can't weed out the bad parts and fertilize the good parts and, and move forward and grow on that. We go back and we read John's letters. And when our preachers preach on it, they tell us about this thing called Gnosticism, something that, you know, I didn't fight the battle of Gnosticism. That was uh, in the first, second and third centuries. And why would they have these issues? You know, there does seem to be these, uh, there is body and spirit and there is good and bad. And well, I mean, Paul himself talks about the battle of flesh versus the spirit. And I don't know why all that Gnostic heresy was bad. And I, I didn't fight those battles. And yet what's very interesting is here we are 2,000 years later, and the same battles are actually coming up. We just don't know it because people aren't calling themselves Gnostics. But so much of what we're facing right now actually goes back to the battles that Christians won for orthodoxy in the first and second and third century against these Gnostic heresies, but they've just kind of filtered their way down through and they, they're, they're coming back up. And it really is one of the reasons why we are fighting battles on issues of abortion and euthanasia, on issues of sexual identity, transgender issues, because what all of that is actually predicated upon is a Gnostic idea, even though most people who support all of those things I just mentioned have no idea that it is, but it's the, it's the duality of body versus person. You know what Yoda said, this, we're not this, we're these luminous beings. And Christians, when Yoda said that, said, oh yeah, that's right. That's what we are. I mean, that's what I said. I thought that's really cool. Actually, no, that's not true. That's, that's actually a Gnostic heresy that this crude matter is evil and it's bad and it's not who I am. Actually, I am what I am on the inside. And we might have no idea why someone back when that was said by Yoda would stand up and say, hold on, let's not buy into that very quickly. We would have no idea why someone would say that because we didn't fight those battles and we don't remember the legacy. When I go back to the legacy of that Gnosticism is wrong, that that dualism is wrong, that idea that the flesh is utterly sinful, but the spirit is what really matters, that that's wrong. Well, now we're starting to reap the fruits of people who did not know the legacy, who even as Christians bought into this dual nature and accepted Gnosticism without knowing that's what they were getting. And now it's leading to, well, you know, maybe it's not wrong to kill a child right after it's born, like the Romans were doing when Christianity got started, because after all, that child hasn't developed a real personhood and so probably is not a real person. And if you think people aren't saying that, you need to start reading what's actually going on as people are debating the ethics of abortion, because that's that's actually getting there. But euthanasia itself, somebody whose quality of life is not quite what mine is, their personhood is diminishing. And, and look, the, the body is bad and evil, so let's it's okay to go ahead and kill them. Or even the idea that my body doesn't indicate anything about my identity and how I'm supposed to live this life because the body is not is not related at all to who I am. I mean, the body is not the sum total of who I am. I know that scripture teaches that, but it is part of who I am. And it does give some indication to how God expects me to live. And so here's this battle that was fought 17 to 1900 years ago that I wasn't a part of. And if I, if I don't learn those things, if I, if I turn my ears off when the, the preachers and teachers who are going to first John and start talking about those battles waged in the first and second centuries, because I say, oh, that doesn't matter. That doesn't apply to me. Oh, it, it'll end up applying because when we forget that legacy, it sneaks back in and we never even know it. And then it yeah. takes over. 
And we wonder, how did the world get here? Well, I'll tell you how. We didn't stand up and fight against this thing because we didn't recognize it. The more yep. things change, the more they stay the same, right? Yeah. History repeats itself. And you mentioned there's only seven stories in the history of you know mankind, and they keep getting repeated over and over again. So yeah, there's a lot of things that we can learn from the past that do apply to the future and maintaining that legacy is understanding the battles that were fought and why they were fought and why they're erroneous and how, how they keep coming back up again. You talk about this idea of Gnosticism and maybe that's a a reiteration of this free will versus predestination debate. Are we predestined to be slaves to our carnal nature? And there's no way we can overcome our carnal nature. As long as our heart is, you know, as long as our intentions are good, does that mean that we're basically good? You know, I think that, um, when you look at Hitler and this idea of racial hierarchy and, you know, the, the Jews are evil and the Jews are inferior. And, and you know, a lot of the propaganda at the time, they were comparing the Jews to, to the devil, to Satan himself. Maybe there's a little bit of predestination sort of in that idea of hierarchy, that there's the elect, there's good people, you know, right. the Nazis, the Aryan race is inherently good and destined to rule the world. And then there's the bad people that are inherently bad, like the Jews we see what that led to, that ide- ideology led to in the Holocaust. And, and, and maybe in many ways, that was a failure of people to learn the lessons of the past and be able to maintain that legacy. I mean, I mean, a lot of violence and death starts with ideology. It's about the way we think, right? That is what, that's where it starts. And that leads to action later. If we can control our thinking, think about all the evil that we could prevent coming into the world. And maybe that's one of the lessons of the 20th century that Tolkien and Lewis learned. And that's part of why they write these hero stories that embody these values of courage and strength and integrity and righteousness and being, don't not being afraid to stand up for what's right. Even when the whole world seems like it's crushing all around you and there's no hope of success, you still maintain your courage to shine forth your light and be the one willing to, to be different. That's the kind of heroism and leadership that it takes to prevent the atrocities that we've seen. I think we're, we're seeing in the 21st century, people are for, forgetting a lot of that. A lot of the lessons of the 20th century, our younger generations have no idea. They have no right. idea of the battles that have been fought. They have no idea of the evils of certain ideologies. I don't want to get too political, but you know the socialism <laughs> that drove the Nazi party, the communism that drove Stalin. And the millions upon millions of people that die because of certain ideas. And if somebody had just had the, the strength to stand up against that and say no, right, and learn the lessons of the past and know where that where that leads. Uh, and as Christians, I think it's incumbent upon us to do that too, whether it's in the church itself and the ideas that are being sort of propagated there or whether it be in society at large. Uh, that's part of our hero's journey or our, our mission as Christians, as, as we're called to be heroes too, in, in our own way. Excellent. Well, let's close off with this. We all have children. You want to tell one story about one Tolkien character. Who do you want to tell them about? I'll let everyone go first. <laughs> oh, yikes. So uh, honestly, man, that is really hard for me to come down to because there, there, there's so many. I, I mean, truly, I think my favorite character in the whole series is Faramir, in the book version of Faramir. But I think if it were, all right, choose the one that you would want your kids to know about. I think it would be Samwise Gamgee. 
I think it would be Sam and his loyalty to Frodo. Here's here's the and and this is why I like Faramir too because these are the two characters that actually stepped up and withstood the draw of the ring. And I guess what I I love Faramir, he's my favorite, but I guess what would make me want to talk to my kids about Samwise was the fact that he even he used the ring and was able to give it up. And it was because it's it's kind of this interesting thing where there's this little message that so much of what's going on in our world is not necessarily good or bad. It's how you're going to use it. And Sam was able to use the ring for nothing but service, for nothing but serving Frodo. And so when it came time to give that back, he was able to do that. And I, I think that's just a powerful lesson that I hope that I learn and can pass on to my kids. I'm glad you asked that question because honestly, I'd never thought in those terms. But but yeah, I want my kids to be Samwise. My favorite's always been Gandalf, the kind of academic intellectual who's sort of on the edge of society, kind of floating around and and helping different groups to sort of become enlightened and be able to understand the big picture of things, to know what their purpose is and what their mission is and what the dangers and threats are. And I think in a sense, that's kind of what we're called to do as Christians is to be dare to be different, even if we're kind of the odd person in the group on sort of a different level of, of thinking and, and we're called to acquire the knowledge that we need to be successful as Christians. Yeah, he, he also sort of, you know, conveys that um, we can't control everything that in this life, right? That there are powers of darkness. There are evil things happening all around us. You know, I think there's one scene where the hobbits are talking to Gandalf about how they just really are having a hard time with the fact that they're in this world of evil and, and violence and Sauron and all the orcs and goblins and all the death and all the danger and the, the fear that they're dealing with. And they wish that, you know, they'd been born at a different time or that, you know, why do they have to be born at this time? And, and Gandalf says, we can't control that. You know, all that there is to do is to decide what to do with the time that is given to us. That's all that we really have control over. And as much as we might like to control others, and we might like to impose our will upon others. And there's inherent dangers and problems with that too. All we can do is decide what we're going to do. And so we decide that we're going to do the right thing as much as possible. We're going to try to have a positive influence and try to shine our light. You don't have to react the way that everybody else around you is reacting. So he says, all there is to do is to choose uh, what to do with the time that's given to us. So I think that's our, that's our challenge as Christians. I will admit, I phrased that question. I was thinking of Sam. Sam's such a, an interesting contrast to Boromir, for instance. Would you rather be the person who is so much stronger than he thinks he is, like Sam? Or would you rather be the one who is not nearly as strong as he thinks he is, like Boromir is? If we can find that balance, if we can maximize whatever strength we have and accept what weakness we have and work on that and seek out help, maybe we can make it through this. Maybe we can survive. Well, you you discover why Boromir was so tempted is because all he could think about was his own strength and the ring becomes a means to supporting his own strength and the strength of his people. Sam, Sam's, Sam's a servant. Sam is a servant from the beginning to the end. He is the servant of Frodo and loyal, absolutely 100% loyal. And, and it's all about serving others and serving the cause, which strengthens him to overcome the temptation. Cause it's, it's not about me. It's not about me. You've been listening to the citizen of heaven podcast. Thank you for your support. 
If you like what you've heard, please subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and or on YouTube. Comments, corrections, and suggestions are always welcome. Please feel free to follow me through Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, or Instagram, or check out my webpage, www.howhammonds.com. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.